Hey everybody, welcome to episode 337 of the Running Rogue Podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from a chilly day in Austin, Texas. And I'm excited to be with you to bring a prior guest, my sister, back on the show. She was on episode 303 to talk about getting her Boston qualifying standard. But recently she found out, because she only had a five-minute buffer, that she would not be able to tow the line in Boston next April. That was obviously a devastating piece of news for her to get. And so she's back on the podcast today to talk with James and I about what's next, how to process and grieve missing that goal, or at least the ability to toe the line relative to that goal, and then how to move forward and take those next steps to either still keep chasing Boston or not. You'll have to listen to see what her goals look like now. But I think this episode will be helpful for anybody who's dreaming about Boston or who may have had a near miss like Lori. Before we get to that interview and conversation, I wanted to quickly thank and shout out my sponsor for this episode, Run John G. I'm going to give you their actually their ad and code up front so that we can get to that interview in its entirety without interruption. So as you know, in my partnership with them, Run John G is a running apparel company. They make functional, really good looking coolly inspired running apparel and they just released their deep winter collection so you can get an insulated jacket insulated vest and some cool new glove mittens that are going to keep your hands really warm through those winter months so i would go check out that new winter collection as a reminder they have a five-year run everywhere guarantee so that you so that you can trust and know that their products will last also two percent of revenues Go to support water projects all around the world. So when you buy their apparel, you're also giving back to a good cause. Go check out their stuff at runjanji.com. You can use my code ROGUE15, R-O-G-U-E-1-5, as many times as you want to get their fall and winter apparel or any of the cool stuff on their site. Go check it out. Again, that code is ROGUE15, R-O-G-U-E-1-5. And with that, as my intro, thank you again to Run Jonji. Let's jump into my conversation with Lori. Here we go. Welcome, Lori Smiley, back to the Running Rogue podcast. Lori, how are you? I'm great. Good to have you on. My sister, for those that don't know, you're on episode 303 to talk about your Boston qualifying journey, and we're back to talk about what's next. But first, quickly, James, how are you? I'm doing well. It's that busy time of year, but I think we're making the most of it. So Busy certainly for coaching with all the fall races happening. So I've been feeling that myself, but all good and exciting stuff. And then this challenge came up in the middle of it all. Lori, you qualified in Houston with a five-minute buffer. And I remember... I think you said something ineffective. Well, I hope that gets me in. And I think I said, of course, that'll get you in. A five-minute buffer, that's plenty. That's what everybody said, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> right? That was a fairly natural reaction considering that there had been no buffer for two straight Bostons. And then we find out that you needed five minutes and 29 seconds. So you were 29 seconds short of being able to actually toe the line next April. Absolutely gut-wrenching. So just take us into what you were feeling when you found out the news and anticipation of the news. Well, 
I think that I was really upset. So I um it's one thing when you spend basically nine months thinking you've accomplished this wonderful goal. And then you find out in the course of a day that you you didn't accomplish the goal that you thought you had accomplished. So I think the hard part was just the time that had gone by thinking I was good. That I think that's that was the hardest part. Um because immediately my reaction was, well, screw it. I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna get to do this race. And it took so much work to get there and took basically three years of bad marathons between PRs. And I just, my initial reaction was, I just can't put myself through that again. Forget it. That was my initial reaction. I was like kicking, screaming, mad, upset. Um, yeah. Yeah. Very helpless and defeated. The, for context sake, for the listener, I want to make sure for those that didn't listen to episode 303, and you should definitely go back and listen because there are a lot of tips on getting that Boston qualifier in that episode. But for context, your first marathon was a five hour marathon. Yes. Almost five. Yes. What was the time between that marathon and your qualifying marathon in Houston of this year? So that would have been in, I think, 2016. I think 2016. So I about seven to- years, about a seven-year journey. Yes. To get that so, qualifier. Yes. And I seriously started training with the Renegades five years ago, so... I haven't been shooting for Boston for five years, but I feel like I've been in training for five years. Like everything I've done to this point has been so that I could get that goal. Five years of striving, five years of miles, five years of hard work, five years of ups and downs, because as you mentioned, there were three frustrating years immediately prior to that qualifier. So give us just the arc of that journey. In terms of, in terms of just the feelings you had and going from not thinking it was ever possible to suddenly being like, I can do this to then being willing to do the work to get it. Well, um, if I start back with my first marathon, that was nearly five hours. Uh, that was just the goal was to finish. And then I took about 20 minutes off. And then I took about another 20 minutes out off. And then I got down to a 410 marathon. And this was all coaching myself, really, not really any formal speed work or anything. But just when I got down to the 410, that's when I thought, well, maybe it is possible if, if I maybe tap into a great resource that I might have that is my brother that's coach <laughs> that knows more than me about running. Imagine, imagine that. Um, but that's hard, you know, when you're the older sister. Um, not really though. I don't really have a hard time at all listening and doing what you tell me to do. That's you're the expert. But so I started training with the renegades and after about, I don't know, nine or 10 months, I did Houston in 2019 and got a PR and did 454. I since aged up. 354. So, for 354. 
Sorry. But Lori, on that note too, didn't you do a one mile time trial at some point in your early days? And what was that time? Well, okay. I know you love the story, James. I, I used to do a one mile downhill once a week as fast as I could. And I remember when I finally like, it was like 9.30, getting closer to nine, like, and it, and it was a downhill finish. So I used to do that every week to see if I was getting faster, which I really wasn't. <laughs> but yes. Um, so I think part of what was hard in that journey was just wrapping my mind around, I'm going to be running 26 miles, like a minute faster than I could run one mile back in the early days. So it really has been um, an arc. And and just for context, I'm 47 years old and I, I'm still getting faster. So I'm going to own that right now. Um, <laughs> Good. Believe, so, finally, finally believe it. I know. I know it's taken a minute, but so, yeah, so I got that 354 and I thought, okay, I'm not that far off. And then I really thought that my next stab at the marathon it would be in the bag at least the qualifier would maybe not with a not big enough buffer but um and then i had basically uh in 2020 my marathon was canceled three weeks before the race even though they were promising they weren't going to cancel it for covid and then i had 2021 i had a pretty big disaster of a marathon a little tiny marathon in Arkansas that was out and back and out and back and they didn't shut down traffic and it was just a mess. And then I guess that was the last one before, um, before 2023 Houston. So it was time for a good big PR. And so I did, I got 345, which was my BQ with a five minute buffer. And it was a great day. Yeah, it was a great day. I was there cheering, got to run with you for a little bit at the end. And it was just one of those days that went exactly as you dream about, right? It really did. In in in, in, in spite of the weather, it was not perfect. Um, but I think that forced me to start very conservatively, which I talk about in the last podcast. And... Um, it worked out. It worked out. And I think, and we maybe we'll get to this, but the, at first I had to, after I was upset and mad and everything, I had to go back and kind of remember what a great day that was because I feel like the crush of the disappointment kind of spoiled that day in my mind. And it was a beautiful day. Like, I got to run with you. I got to feel strong at the end. I was passing people right and left. People, I mean, it was carnage everywhere. People were dying, dropping because of the heat. And I was just cruising and I felt great. And I was telling people in the crowd, I'm getting my Boston qualifier today. And and then my team was there and my husband and, and my teammates met me in the the area where you meet the family and friends meet up. And it was, and then we went and cheered the rest of our team in. It was just, it was a beautiful day. And I had to go back and remember that because the crush of the disappointment really at first spoiled that day for me. And that's not fair. So I, I reclaimed that day and just the, the way it was just so beautiful. And I think that's helped me a lot. 
That is beautiful and important. And I think that's the most, one of the most heartbreaking things about the current process is that you can have this contrast in January, this amazing day that was everything you'd worked hard for for seven years and had dreamed about with the finish that you wanted and those that you wanted to experience it with there to support you. And then nine months later, all alone somewhere, most likely you're getting a message or seeing the news that you didn't actually get to toe the line. And, and that contrast I think is what represents the process being broken. It's not fair for people to have that, that experience go from so high to so low simply because of how many people applied and the quote buffer for the day. And and that's the part I want to see different for people because I just don't think that's right. And, and I, I think there's better ways. So, and we'll talk about better ways in a minute, but, but I also want to cover the evolution of your feelings. You kind of talked about being mad and angry and upset to reclaiming the victory of that day. What other feelings have you been feeling? Well, I have to say that current world events have put it, given me a lot of perspective. Like this is just a thing that I get to do because I'm blessed to have this incredible life and live in a free country where I don't have to worry about bad things happening imminently. And so I think just having a little bit of perspective, um, just because of things that have happened in our world and just in friends' lives and that sort of thing, um, it just, it diminishes. Like, this is not a big deal. I'm not going to die if I don't do Boston. It's not, it's not who I am. You know, um, it's just something I enjoy doing. And um, so I will say that. Um, but the disappointment and the um, the sadness, the, the good thing about that, it's it's sort of like grief. You can't continue in those feelings with that intensity over a long period. Like every once in a while it comes back and I just like get upset again or I get like mad again. Um, but then I just remind myself really to put it in perspective and um, there's a bigger picture here. And so I, I think that perspective has has shifted, um, and that that has helped me too. Yeah, and I think another part of that perspective is also related to your point of reclaiming the day. It's you got the goal, you know, whether or not you ever get to toe the line in Boston, and you will. You still got the goal. You still, it still represents the striving that you had for seven years and that can't be taken away regardless of the buffer or whether you get that official bib. And so I think that's also important to keep in mind. Well, I think the other thing too is uh, the plan is to get faster anyway. So (laughs) I think like after I kind of came around to that, it's like, wait a minute, I wasn't going to run Boston and be done right? I'm not going to probably ever OTQ, but (laughs) hey, you know? (laughs) Um, 
So I think that's that's another thing that kind of I came around to was like, wait a minute, I wasn't going to stop. Like, that's not my fastest marathon. It's not. Yeah. It's not the number been written on my mirror for <laughs> five years. <laughs> it is definitely not. And that's a powerful point as well. And that, I think, is a point that can help a lot of people, even if the Boston element isn't related, but if you had a bad race, you have, you don't have the day that you wanted on a given day. You don't get the goal you wanted, or you had your race canceled in Minneapolis. Like so many of us, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to keep working. You're going to keep getting faster. And that's going to be, that was going to be true whether or not you got the goal. So keep moving forward. I'd say that's like the, best possible outlook, but, um, it's a hard one as a coach to sell. So Lori, how'd you get there? I I don't think we can claim credit for quote coaching you up there that I loved hearing that swagger in that statement. So how'd you get there? Honestly, I don't know. Like, I, I think that just, like I said, perspective and time and just your rational mind takes over and, I, I've, I recovered from Houston and I jumped into a speed cycle and then I was planning on doing the Houston half in January and maybe another half somewhere in the fall. And so we'd kind of been working speed all summer and leading up to changing over to half marathon training. So I think it just kind of, I have a very logical brain and my logical brain just said, well, you're working on speed. So keep going. Yeah. I don't know. Keep going. <laughs> and you are getting faster. I do like the swagger that James mentioned because you haven't always had that in terms of claiming and owning that speed. Well, it took me a long time to feel like a real runner, but that's probably another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're there now. You're there now. So before we start to talk about what's next, I do want to talk about Boston itself. I've made some comments on the podcast about some ideas that I have for modifying the process. And again, I, I'm not one who thinks, you know, we shouldn't have qualifiers or that there's a problem with that. I want to celebrate the accomplishment of Boston while also making sure that Boston stays true to really its core roots, which is that if you go back and watch the Boston documentary, from 2017, I mean, it's it's truly the people's race and it's always been and qualifying didn't really come into play until the 70s and 80s. And I want to celebrate that, but also celebrate the charity component and that pathway to the race. And I think there may be other opportunities for other pathways, but, but let's talk about the qualifying process. I mentioned having potentially two standards, one auto, one provisional any thoughts or ideas from you, Lori? Well, Chris, if I had known I basically needed two seconds faster per mile, and I knew that that would have for sure gotten me into the race, I guarantee you that I would have had two seconds faster per mile. <laughs> if that, right? If I had known that was all it took. I mean, that's, that's you know, picking it up through a water stop. That's just not kind of falling asleep for just a second or chit chatting with somebody for just a second or watching the, you know, people go by it. So I feel like 
if you had a standard that you knew was the standard, that that would help a lot. That's a fair point. Yeah, a couple of ideas that came to me via email. Of course, I had the idea of having two standards, one automatic standard, one provisional standard that would be subject to the number of applicants. Got some other ideas via email. One person said, what about allowing every first-time applicant that's a qualifier automatically into the race? Which I'm all for that idea. I think part of the thing I don't like about the current system is that it somehow ranks qualifiers based on the time relative to the buffer. And, and that doesn't account for the fact that it's a lot harder for some people to get even a second under the standard versus others, maybe to get 10 minutes. So I like the idea of all first time applicants getting in automatically. A couple other people mentioned the idea of a lottery that could be applied for all applicants potentially so that you had equal chance regardless of your qualifying time or perhaps a lottery that might be associated with a two standard approach where there's an automatic standard and then a lottery for the remaining open positions relative to a provisional standard. So those are a couple of other ideas that have been floating out, floating out there. Any thoughts on those? all sounds more fair than the way they do it now. Not fair. I guess I shouldn't say (laughs) fair, but it's true. Some people run a BQ their first marathon and it's just not even a stretch for them. And some people have to work their butts off for years and years and years. And yeah, it would be nice to know that I had an equal chance, but maybe this is going to make me faster in the long run. Yeah. I mean, I do think that is the interesting byproduct of, the current system, which is that it does perhaps cause people to set even higher standards, even though maybe they're not real or they're in some ways artificial. You know, now everybody's talking about BQ minus 10. Okay, BQ minus 10. That's really the true standard in my mind. I have to train for that. And so does that force people to get to an even higher bar? The one thing I do like about the current system is that because you don't know the time, it means you're going to try to get every second out of it, regardless to get as much buffer as you can. And while that has some downsides, obviously, that is one of the upsides is that most most people are going to give everything that they can to the finish line, not knowing where that line might be drawn, especially now. James, what do you think as a coach? I think that that last part, it's worth splitting the the conversations and you've done that with like the intro to this podcast, but it's like, even if that's a byproduct, I think that goes credit to the athlete, like credit to Lori for taking the attitude of saying, I'm going to go and get faster. And all coaches should have that conversation with their athletes. When something like this happens, it's like, Hey, you had a moving target, but then there's still this, like the other line of the conversation is like, yeah, but what are the standards? What are the rules? What are we? Cause by having this like five minute buffer and the potential 10 minute buffer or saying like, Oh, athletes will go for all. It's sort of like, no, but you still have sloppy rules or ambiguous rules set here. It's like, I I know this very well from sales. It's like, if your VP of sales is constantly moving your target for your quotas, it's like, 
I guarantee you every single sales guy on that team is like, F that guy, right? It's like not someone you want to work with. And by no means do I want people to get angry and rile up and be like, F Boston. No, I respect Boston. I respect that they're trying to solve this problem. But by not having some kind of clear uh, approach to it, um, the line keeps moving and people, humans, this is just a human thing. We hate ambiguity. Uh, we hate moving targets. We hate uncertainty. There's even studies like Dr. Maya Shanker talks about, like you could get shocked, um, at a certain cadence. And even if the shock intensity is higher, you hate that less than saying you're not going to have a very intense shock. Um, but you don't know when it's coming. Like people hate that uncertainty. And so I think we still need uh, despite the fact that the athletes are taking the right attitude and saying, I will get faster. Um, I don't want to give credit for Bo- to Boston in any way by being like, Oh, they created this system that just causes people to go find their best. It's like, what are you saying about the standards when you have to go standard asterisk this year, minus five standard asterisk this year, minus 10. It's, I don't know. It does potentially make it less meaningful. And I do wonder at some point if it's off-putting and cause people to say, well, screw it. I'm not going to even try. It's not worth it since it's a moving target. Well, and I'll tell you, explaining it to my friends that are not runners who <laughs> like, were like, oh, you made Boston. Oh, you didn't make Boston. And then explaining to them, because I didn't give them the nuances, right? When I told them I qualified, because it's just too confusing. And then now they're like, what, you're not running Boston? And when I explain it to them, they're like, well, that's stupid. Like, <laughs> you know, they just don't even, they're like, that's dumb. That's that's ridiculous. You know, they don't have a, a way to make sense of it. Right. Like, well, I qualified. Oh, so you get to go. Congratulations. No, I don't get to go. Why not? Well, I was 29 seconds short of the 529 buffer. Yeah. Like, what do you mean buffer? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just, it is, it's confusing. And so there's got to be clarity. There's got to be an easier way. And, you know, by the way, I should mention another idea what people said is, hey, just, just make the standard another five or 10 minutes faster so that you can make sure that everybody who gets in, you know, or, or make sure that the number of applicants is, is smaller than the, the field size. And so that's another option out there. Will it happen? I don't know. But I have to think that Boston is, is looking at this stuff critically. So let's transition to the conversation of what's next. I love that you're seemingly in a good headspace, ready to do the work to go get it again with enough buffer. (laughs) So, but, but I also know that, you know, that hasn't been a completely linear thought process. And I know you were just recently on vacation before that you posted on our message boards said, Hey, here's the, here's some things I've been thinking about. What do you guys think? So just lay out the thought process for people where you were several weeks ago before you left for a vacation. I should have pulled up that post. I can't remember exactly where I was, but we were heading on vacation for about 10 days. And so leading up to the Boston announcement, I had increased my long run from four, from 14 or 15 to about 16 so that I would be in position to pivot if I needed to. And so I had done two, I think two 16 milers, which it that was in September 
and it was hot. And so that's, that's a long, hot day for a long run um, at my paces. But anyway, so I just posted and said, we're getting ready to go out of town and I'm trying to figure out what to do. If, if I'm going to pivot to the marathon, I really need to do an 18 before I leave, which would be on a Wednesday, um, which was really hard. <laughs> um, so what do y'all think? Um, and at that time you mentioned potentially pivoting to the Houston marathon instead of yes. the half. Yes. And so a lot of great feedback from our team, which is one of the reasons I love our team. Very thoughtful, very thoughtful answers. And most people said, why don't you just think about it on a vacation? And, and that's what I was planning on doing. Um, was, but I wanted to get that 18 in because I knew I'd miss a long run um, and then come back and it's a down week. So um, I, I got the 18 and it was a slog. <laughs> it was really hard doing a long run on a Wednesday after the quality that James had assigned us so lovingly on the Monday. And um, anyway, I, I nailed the quality but then the long run was so hard. It was really hot and humid that day. And of course it had only been a few days since the previous long run. But the thing that really um, caused me and, and I think it, it, with any decision and any, any time you're looking for direction, I'm a, I'm a person of faith. So I was praying about it and asking God what I should do. And, um, my son is actually, um, he's on a boat and he was in the Persian Gulf at the time. And, um, he, he's a Marine, he's a Marine and, um, he had broken his hand and couldn't work out in the gym, which is one of the things that when you're on a boat keeps you sane. And so he, I could tell he's, he had really had some hard weeks. Um, anyway, he was getting ready to go back into the gym. He had about another week left until he could go back and start lifting weights again. And he said, mom, he said, it's really, he said, I, he, I heard about Boston. He said, um, and I, I want you to know, I understand. He said, you know, I had, I had made all these gains in the gym and he's a really, he's always struggled with, um, being too thin <laughs> and being, um, skinny, you know, and, and so he'd get made all these gains. He gained some weight, he gained some muscle. He was really proud of himself for what he was lifting. And he said, and, and the thought of starting over just makes me sick and it makes me not even want to do it. He said, so I understand. He said, but why don't you're going to shoot for Boston and you're going to run that marathon in January. And I should be back from this deployment in January. And we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to gain my 20 pounds back and you're going to get five more minutes off your marathon. And my 22-year-old son giving me a pep talk, um, I can't tell you, uh, because you do all these things when you're a parent, and and really you think you're doing them because your kids are watching. Well, I really don't think they were watching. <laughs> like, I really don't think they care. Um, but you know that they've matured into adulthood when they – when they finally can relate. And so that just meant so much. And I'm like, well, how can I not go for this when my son is telling me to go for this? And he even called my husband later and was like, dad, I, I think I really helped mom. And that just <laughs> blessed my heart so much. And so that was kind of like the answer that I was looking for. 
I didn't even need to think about it really anymore when we were on vacation um, because I'd already pretty much decided. But I had also been thinking about running CIM um, in December just in case I hadn't didn't get into Boston and decided not to do that. So kind of wished maybe I had <laughs> decided to do that now, but that's okay. Um, yeah. So that's well, kind of first of all, shout out to Jackson. Yes. In the Marines for his service and for all who serve and for his amazing advice to his mom, which is cool. So, and, and I guess I also want to highlight the team's advice because I think one of the, the points that the Renegades made prior to vacation was, hey, look, don't make any drastic decisions. Give yourself some space. Get the 18-miler in so that you have the option before you go, but then let it kind of come to you and marinate over your trip, which I think was also good advice. And I think that's good general advice in any situation like this, whether it be I'm pivoting from Boston or I'm pivoting from a race that got canceled or I'm pivoting from a bad race is don't do anything drastic. You need to make sure that you give yourself time and space to process something fully before you jump into the next thing. Yes. It was very good advice. (laughs) So you went on vacation, you got the clarity that you needed and now Houston 2024. I mean, I think I haven't, I haven't officially changed my registration because I wanted to to talk to you guys. But um, like I said, I was already thinking about before. I was already thinking about doing CIM in the fall. And we, Chris, you and I had a conversation about it. And you said, you know, hey, I really don't think CIM and then Boston. I think that's kind of close together. And really, I am a dumb athlete. I'll do whatever you say. So I was like, okay, Chris doesn't think that's a good idea. So I'll just... I like Houston. Um, I like to, I like to not get on an airplane. I'm kind of germaphobic. So really the travel thing, the travel piece of it, that's an easy car ride for us. And I can get down there and I don't have to feel surrounded and trapped in an airplane with people coughing. Um, so yeah, I think it's pretty, a pretty good solution for me, but I'm open. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think this would be a good time to pause and kind of talk about what does a good solution look like? Because I was having similar conversations with people around the Minneapolis cancellation when they were looking to decide what to do next, whether it be find another marathon or whatever it may be. So I think there's a handful of factors to consider, some of them training related, some of them not. You know, one of the factors that's not training related in this situation, again, in any situation where you might have to pivot is what do you want to do? What is your mind drawn to? And I know Houston for a lot of reasons, it's close. It's easy. You have the history there is a race that you have a connection to, but somebody going and picking some random race or picking Houston, if they're not connected to it, Maybe there's a way to get connected to it. So I don't want to minimize that. But I think one part of this equation for anybody who might be asking themselves these these questions is, what do I want to do? What am I drawn to? The marathon is too hard to do in a race that doesn't mean anything to you. I 
Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. That's really good advice. Um, because in 21, I ran that Arkansas marathon and I was supposed to run Philly and series of circumstances. I couldn't run Philly and I was connected to that and the team. And I, I think that maybe is another thing that went wrong in Arkansas is that I was just, I didn't, it didn't mean anything. So I think that's really good advice. Well, and you got hit by a car on a course without <laughs> road closures. I mean, that was, there was a lot of absurdity there, but, um, but yes, <laughs> that, that probably didn't help. So, so that's a factor is you got to find that thing that you're connected to and you can't force it. Another factor is where are you in training and how does this fit into training? I think the, one of the nice things about where you were in training is that you were at a perfect pivot point because you'd finished, you were finishing up a speed cycle essentially at the end of September, going to pivot from there to the Houston half cycle. Your volume was in a solid place doing 14 and 16 mile long runs. And so pivoting from where you were to a half, easy enough. To a marathon, also easy enough because your volume was where it was needed. It was was where it needed to be. You came off a complementary cycle of speed that would dovetail nicely into a marathon cycle. And you had enough time or have enough time to actually get through a cycle in a way that's going to give you the best chance to put your best foot forward instead of rushing it or short circuiting it in a way that wouldn't be productive. How do you feel about where you are? Um, well, I had a really terrible quality yesterday, <laughs> but overall, uh, my, it was, um, it was gross. So, it was that, so gross outside. the weather this week is back to gross in Texas. It's horrible. And so, uh, I did recovery on the treadmill today just cause I just couldn't go out that humidity again. That aside, I, um, I feel good. Like I'm doing between 50 and 55 miles a week on up weeks, which is, you know, more than I ever did for my first, probably three, no, four, four marathons. Anyway. So I peaked at 60 last year. So I'm right where I need to be volume wise, feeling really fast until, like I said, until yesterday, and you can't let one work out, (laughs) make you question your life choices, but I was, um, So, yeah, I I feel like I'm good there. I feel like when I look at, we have our first long run with quality this weekend. Um, I think I'm ready for it. Yeah, I feel like like it's not going to be like cramming something in. This is what I did last year. I did a half cycle and I even did a half marathon A race uh, in November before going full on Houston training. So I'm not behind. I feel good. I I did feel fast until yesterday. Um, (laughs) but (laughs) yeah, I think it's, it's at a good spot. Yeah. And that's, that's important. You have to be physically feeling okay. You also have to be physically ready and then have enough time and space to get to that next goal. And you just can't short circuit it. So that's a key message here. And then beyond Houston or beyond whatever race for anybody that might be listening, I I think a critical thing to remember here is that regardless of what happened or how close you were, 
as you said earlier, you got to get back to work. And what does that work look like? Well, that work looks like exactly like the work before in that the fundamentals are all still true and what you were thinking about to get faster the day before you found out about Boston is exactly the same as what you need to get faster the day after. And there are no shortcuts. And so you have to simply stick to the fundamentals as usual. Because if you don't, and you try to take shortcuts, then that's where we get in trouble with injury and everything else. Well, and I think that's important to keep in mind because um, I'm sort of moving my paces down a line. And yesterday I had given myself 30 seconds for the heat adjustment. And I'm like, ooh, 9.05 for AT, that seems pretty slow. I'll just kind of see where I end up. And so I ended up a little faster than that. Um, and maybe that was too fast. Maybe I should have just stuck to the math. Um, but there's that creeping thought like, okay, you've got to make sure you're doing enough. You've got to make sure you're doing enough. And I probably need to go back and listen to myself on my last podcast <laughs> and listen to the things that I did to get me to Houston. Because one of the things I did is I kept it fun and I trained where I was and I wasn't stretching to try to do more and more and more. And even that day of the race, I sandbagged the goal for myself. My goal was 350, just qualify for Boston. Don't worry about your buffer. And so I think I need to rein myself in and because I'm one of these like strive, push, more is always more, right? And it's not. Less is more sometimes. Rest is important that sort of thing. Yeah. And certainly with pace, I mean, train where you are to get where you want to go. I mean, that's a fundamental element, but hard to remember anytime. And then certainly hard to remember when you're thinking, oh, I have to get to this next level in order to get in next time. But I, I appreciate the fact that you can represent the devil on your shoulder, but also knowing that that's that that's not right necessarily. That whispering in your ear is wrong and you got to stick to what works. And I would, ju- I would just add that like there, there are certain guiding principles that are um, made for certain times in our training. Like if, if when you're, when you're first starting out um, and like setting a baseline of running four times a week in a seven day life cycle, then sure, like more is better. And when it's like, all right, I built this baseline of four times 30 minutes per week, um, then it's like, sure, you you should be upping the ante. But I think it's at least worth calling out when someone's raised their baseline to where you have, Lori, then yes, the, the whole, um, you know, we have to let go of those old guiding principles of like more, 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 because you, you know, someone who's brought herself to a spot where she can run 60 mile weeks at the peaks and she's averaging 50 to 55 right now. And she's putting in big qualities, which we are giving you guys the advanced in within the renegades. Like not every program gets, uh, quite the rigor that we, um, prescribe to the renegades. So yeah, once you've raised your baseline so high and you're living and operating in a different space, then yeah, it's, it's now about abiding in these sort of new truths and principles that you've uncovered in your last podcast and in your last training cycle that'll now guide you. So sometimes it's the devil on the shoulder and other times it's just memories of old perspective that you have to be like, 
wait, no, I've, I've graduated from that, that class of more, 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 more. And now I'm in a different, um, training mindset, if you will. Yeah. And more in, in your context, you're talking about building more volume for the most part, James, and you have to, in order to do that, you have to do it at easy efforts. And I think that's one thing for that person that is on the line or who is looking to get, get to Boston at some point and maybe feels like they're far away. The number one thing you need to do is raise your bar relative to the amount of volume you can do by making sure you build properly and run easy efforts, but also how much you think you can get to by building it gradually over time, working your schedule and prioritizing in a way that allows you to get that in. And granted, I know it's not always going to work and you're always, you're going to have seasons of life where maybe you can't do as much as you'd like, but you have to keep raising that bar from a volume standpoint if you want to keep getting faster. And relatedly, then you apply in the other principles, which is managing your efforts the right way, polarizing your training the right way, adding new variables to the equation and including workouts if you haven't done those yet, long run workouts, more 20 milers in a cycle if you're in marathon training. Those All those pieces start to escalate in a way that's going to get you where you want to go. And I think we could probably get anybody on this podcast who is dreaming of Boston or is close or just missed, and we could give them those one or two things to start to layer into their work to keep taking those steps forward. And it's going to look a little different for everybody, but the fundamental list of things is probably pretty similar. So Lori, what advice would you have for that person in your shoes? Um, I mean, really, it's nothing earth shattering. Just keep your head down. The goal is to get faster. So go get faster. And then maybe if Boston's lucky, you'll run their race someday. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of the attitude I'm taking at this point. Um, right. I, I think that, you know, sometimes we look at the paces we're running and we think, gosh, I've been running these paces forever. It's not that much different. Why am I going to have, you know, some big breakthrough now? A friend of mine and I were discussing this last week and and I just think, well, you've never had this much experience with those paces. I mean, even if you've been running the same paces for five years, you have all that volume in your tank, all that, you know, deposit in your bank. And you just, you never know, like, are you going to stop now before it could be the payoff? Right. <laughs> I just, I just think you have to go with it and amazing things can happen on race day if you're in the right head place for them. Yeah. And you can't script when those breakthroughs come, unfortunately, I wish we could, <laughs> I wish we could plan it and count on it, but we can't. And you got to take them when they come. You certainly had one in January and we'll have more for sure. And I think you have to deal with the fear. Okay. So let's just be honest. I'm scared to death that what if I have a crappy day in Houston? What if it's 80 degrees? I mean, but you you could what if yourself to death, right? Or what if it's great? What if I'm totally fine? What if it's the greatest day in the world? But you have to deal with that fear. And it's, I don't, I don't like it. I don't, I don't like the uncertainty. I don't like feeling fearful. 
Fear is hard, but you know, as Brene Brown says, you know, fear and courage by definition come together. You know, you don't have courage without fear. And so I think that's part of the recognition that we all have to have, which is that of course you're scared. When you're dreaming big, when you want big things, of course you're scared. Of course there are fears. Those are all normal human reactions and emotions. And the cur the courage is when you step into it anyway. And you face it anyway. And so be be that and recognize that courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is actually facing those fears when they come. So as we start to wrap this up, I wanted to kind of get to a couple of other tips and thoughts. You know, another one that I would think about in this situation for anybody is please continue to take a long-term view. I think we touched on that indirectly that point earlier, but you have to make sure that you don't take shortcuts to try to get this thing now. And I think that's true regardless of where you are in your Boston journey, because you want to make sure that you have the ability to do this for a long time and that you reach your highest potential at some point down the road. And there is no rush to achieve that, even if you thought you already had it. So please, please continue to take your time. Boston's not going anywhere. If you continue to take your time and build those fundamental principles over time, you will get there. If we take shortcuts, if we rush, we might get injured, we might plateau, we might get burned out. And those are the things we want to avoid because that's ultimately going to cause you to take longer to get what you want if you try to short circuit it from my perspective. James, what else would you say? I would say it's buried in this whole conversation, but it's be, be very clear about what you want and, and, and make sure it's rooted in you. And so the example there is you were asking Lori about like, well, is, is Houston what you want in the day you want to race? And is that burning inside you? Because if it is, and it's yours, then it doesn't matter about moving targets and it doesn't matter about canceled race days. Um, and it doesn't matter what the world does around you. Um, Lori, there's a principle in the Old Testament, like Joshua, who said, like, as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. There's this like clear perspective of like, despite what happens around me, this is what I'm going to do. And this is who I'm going to be. So if it's like, you're very clear about what you want, and then you get really crystal clear about what you're willing to do to get there, then all of a sudden you're able to abide within these principles. So that's the, the very clear training. It's like, no matter what, I'm going to take a few minutes off my marathon time. And I'm going to do it in Houston or I'm going to do it in January. Like you, you, you set very clear goals that are rooted in you. And it doesn't matter if the buffer is five minutes, 10 minutes, et cetera. Lori, I know you all, you already know this. I'm just speaking rhetorically as a coach. Now it's like, um, it becomes your source of pride and your source of joy. So like when quote, the world fails you, um, or the standard changes around you or the race gets canceled, you get to look back and say, did I do what I said I would do? Did I control my end? Um, and not only is that um, a good way to, I think, be alive, but it it also helps you like um, have that source of pride and understanding when maybe other people like just are like, well, shoot, my goal got taken away. Now I feel lost and I'm floundering. It's like you you go back to yourself. You you have that empowerment because you you said what you wanted you mapped out a course to get there, you executed both on the map and on the day. And then it's like the rest is left to other people. Um, actually not even to decide. It's just, now it's just a matter of 
external factors. Yeah, and I like that perspective a lot. I mean, knowing that it's Houston, it could be hot, right? But if I do everything I can do, then that's an, that's something I can't control, and I'm okay. And I've decided that I have to be okay with that, right? More often than not, the weather's good in Houston, but that's a variable I can't control. And I, I've accepted, like I accepted it just like last year. And I mean, I was so disappointed. Like if the race had been one day earlier, I probably would have run it faster because the day before it was not as humid as the day of. And so I, I accept that, that that is, that is a possibility. But if I do everything that I know that I need to do, and even if it is one of those days, it doesn't come out like I want, like I accept all of that as part of this challenge, knowing that someday, yes, I will get the goal that's in my head for my marathon. I would love for it to be in January. (laughs) That would be awesome. (laughs) But I also know that it took three years of crap raises to get me that day. Right. But it was still worth it to have that day, even though we had to go through that. I don't want to go through that again. Trust me. But I accept that that's part of it. We're both going to be running in January in Houston. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Our first marathon together. And my goal is to beat you, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) But I appreciate that perspective because I feel the same way about my race. You know, our goals are different, but the mentality is the same. It's all I can do is everything I can do and, and the outcome will take care of itself. And, and I already have great peace about that, but I'm glad we're in a similar place. Okay. As we wrap this episode I wanted to finish by simply saying that if your goal is Boston, that's beautiful. And I don't put any ranking or, you know, this person's better than that person on anyone striving to that goal. And I think that's the important spirit to bring to all of these discussions is that one person's Boston qualifier is as beautiful as another's. And I hope that we can get to a process that will make it feel at least like that's true, that we're able to celebrate and embrace everybody who's on the journey. And if Boston qualifying is not your goal, then your goals are just as worthy too. And you're just as worthy of all the same principles and hard work that we would give you to get to whatever your goals are. And one of my missions in all of this is to to root out some of that elitism that would rank people based on their pace or their goals or where they're running in the pack. And, and so I want to emphasize as we end this conversation that certainly we've been focused on Lori's goal for Boston and the pivots associated with it, but really you can take all of this and apply it to anybody's goal and anybody is worthy of applying these same thoughts and ideas to whatever they might be chasing as well. So I'll end it with that. Appreciate all of you guys listening. Thanks, Lori and James, for coming on. And as always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.